as everyone here who's ever watched Top Gun knows, Maverick encounters an almost insurmountable obstacle when his rear-seater and his best friend Goose is killed because Maverick was flying the airplane that went down that resulted in Goose's death, and he blames himself. And somehow being able to get past that and get on with life is almost something he's never able to come to grips with. And, you know, maybe the accident was Maverick's fault and maybe it wasn't Maverick's fault. But the point is, Maverick had to stop becoming a prisoner of the past and he had to get on with his life. And we're going to come to a place today in the Bible where somebody else has to face that very same problem, a fellow named David where David has to deal with the past and putting it behind him and now getting on with his life for the glory of God. And, you know, I don't think it's just Maverick and David that ever have to deal with this. I think sometimes, folks, we do too. Even as Christians, there are times where we make mistakes that they are so bad and they're so damaging that we run the risk of becoming prisoners of those things in the past if we're not careful. So that's what we want to talk about today. How do we, when we've really messed up and we've really hurt people and we've really caused lots of damage, how do we put that behind us and get on with life for the glory of God? Well, that's what we want to talk about. So I want you to take a Bible and I want you to open it together with me to a Second Samuel chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you today, how about borrowing our copy? You'll find it on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 223, page 223 in our copy, or 2 Samuel 12 in your copy. And while you're turning, let me give you a little bit of background. Today we're coming to the close of the ugliest and the most disappointing period in the life of the great man of God, David. During this period, David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's gotten her pregnant. He's then tried to lie and scheme his way out of it. When that failed, he then murdered her husband, Uriah, and took Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, to be his own wife. After a year of covering this up, finally God sends Nathan the prophet to confront David. And when he's confronted, David repents. He comes clean about what he's done. He, he asks God to forgive him, and God does. But as a consequence of what he did... Nathan tells him that the son that Bathsheba has given birth to, his son, is going to die, which is exactly what happens. Now, the whole sordid affair has come to an end. Uh, David is fessed up. God has forgiven him. He's paid his dues for what he's done. Case closed, right? Well, not quite. Not quite. And that's where we pick up the story today. Look with me, if you would, at verse 26. Meanwhile, it says, Joab fought against Rabbah, the capital city of the Ammonites, and captured the royal citadel. Now, David's commanding general, this fellow named Joab, has now taken the army of Israel back out and has besieged and captured the capital city of the Ammonites, which is today modern-day Jordan, to give you a sense of where it is. But would you please notice that the king is not with them. David is not here with his army. You say, well, why not? Well, the Bible never tells us explicitly why David wasn't there, but maybe you've heard the story about the teacher who was asking her second graders to please stand up and announce what their father did and then spell it. So the first little boy stands up and he says, well, my father is a banker, B-A-N-K-E-R. She says, very good. Then the next little girl stands up and says, well, my father is a barber, B-A-R-B-E-R. Teacher says, that's great. Next little boy stands up and says, well, my father is an electrician. E-L-A-U. 
the teacher said, well, you know, that, that's wonderful. Why don't you sit down for just a minute? And when you think you've got it right, we'll give you the chance to stand up and try again. So he sits down. The next little boy stands up and says, well, my daddy is a bookie. B-O-O-K-I-E. And I'll lay you 10 to 1 that kid never spells electrician. <laughs> now, I'm not a bookie or the son of a bookie. But I have been a pastor for 19 years, and I'll tell you, in 19 years of working with people who have problems and who have made mistakes and watching how they respond to mistakes, I'll give you 10 to 1, I can tell you why David wasn't out there at the army. I'll give you 10 to 1, I can tell you what was wrong with him. It was the same thing that was wrong with Maverick. David was having a hard time putting the mistakes of the past behind him and getting on with life. He was having a hard time pronouncing everything he had done with Bathsheba as ancient history and then going on with his life for the glory of God. Maybe he was depressed. Maybe he was humiliated and embarrassed. Maybe he was feeling sorry for himself. Maybe he was feeling unworthy to go out and continue to lead the people of Israel. Or maybe it was a combination of all four. But David was in a funk. Verse 27. And so Joab sent a message to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the army and besiege this city and you capture it. Otherwise, I will end up taking the city and it'll be named after me. Friends, Joab was a very smart man. He saw that David was in a funk. He realized David was focusing on the past and not the future. And he knew the way to get the king out of this is he needed to force the king to reconnect, get re-engaged in everyday living. So here's what he did. He created a situation that forced David to come out of his emotional cocoon. He wrote David and said, hey, king, let me tell you what's going to happen if you don't get down here real quick. I'm going to end up taking this city and the soldiers are going to rise up and they're going to can you and they're going to coronate me. So unless you want to be referring to me as King Joab, you better get your parts down here right now. Get that army and get yourself down here. And that's what he does. David, look, verse 29, mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. And he took the crown from the head of the king and it was placed on David's head. He took a great quantity of plunder from the city and brought out the people who were there consigning them to labor. The end of the chapter. And then David and his entire army returned to Jerusalem in triumph. When confronted with the prospect of losing his throne, David snapped back. He re-engaged. He reconnected. He shook off the blues and he got back involved in life. This was a wonderful thing Joab did. He had a strategy. He wanted to help the king. He was trying to help the king out of being a prisoner of the past and get him looking forward again. And it worked. The Bible, as far as we know, never tells us again of David ever being in this kind of a downward spiral because of Joab's help, David snapped out of it and got on with life. Had he embarrassed himself and humiliated himself? Yes. Had he shamed himself? Yes. Had he opened up the nation of Israel to ridicule? Yes. Had he disgraced God? Yes. But God had forgiven him. Now it was time to put all that behind him and let's get on with what else God had for him in life. Now, that's the, the end of the passage, and that's as far as we want to go in the Bible today. But we want to stop and ask the most important question, and you know what that is. Ready? One, two, three. So what? So what? Right. Lon, so what? I mean, I feel bad for David. Shoot, I feel bad for Maverick. But what does it have to do for, with me? I mean, 
Uh, you know, I, I don't fly F-14s, and so this doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, yes, it does, my friend, because I believe that there are many of us here who, when we make mistakes in our life, we are very prone to do exactly what Maverick did, to do exactly what David did, to let those mistakes make us prisoners of the past. And uh, God wants to set us free. God doesn't want us living like that. I want to talk to you about that. You know, I've been a Christian for almost 29 years now. And during those years, I've made some pretty bad mistakes. I've made some mistakes that have really hurt and damaged people. I've made some mistakes that have really hurt the ministry of McLean Bible Church. I've made some mistakes that have really hurt people in my family. In my years of being a Christian, I have got some gold medal winning screw-ups on my side. I mean to tell you. Probably the worst I ever made, or at least what I think has to be a candidate for that, happened about four years ago. My little girl, Jill, who was three at the time, she could speak in two to three word phrases. She could point out parts of her body, her nose, her ears, her eyes. She could even tell you when we were close to home, she could point and tell you which street to turn on to get us home. But she was still having seizures, and so in an attempt to get, try to get her seizure free... Uh, I proposed to the doctors at Johns Hopkins a, a, a different way, a new drug protocol to try on her. And they said to me, they said, well, we've never really done that before. It might work, but it's pretty risky. And I said to them, well, you know, as her father, I'm prepared to take that risk. And so we tried it. And I want to tell you, it was an absolute disaster. Disaster. And as a result of that new drug protocol, Jill lost all of her ability to speak. She lost all of those developmental skills with the result that today at age seven, Jill cannot do anything she could do at age three. And without a doubt, I, I have to tell you, that probably is the worst decision I have ever made in my entire life. And so I understand, friends, how David felt here in the end of 2 Samuel 12. I understand what it feels like to hate yourself for something you've done that's damaged somebody else. I understand what it feels like to have so much guilt about a mistake you've made that it physically hurts. I understand how a person can feel so much pain about something they've done that they don't even want to get out of bed and go on with life. I understand that. And you know what? Well-meaning people telling you, oh, it wasn't your fault, that doesn't help a bit. Because you know it was your fault. At least that's how you feel. You say, Lon, wow, man, I, I'm really glad I came to church today. I am really depressed now. Well, no, I don't want you to be depressed because God taught me some lessons through all of this. He taught me some lessons about how to grapple with that kind of guilt and taught me some lessons about how to resolve it biblically and how to put it behind me and how to get on with life in a healthy way. And by the grace of God, I think I've pretty well been able to do that. And I want to share those lessons with you today because I'll bet there are some of you here today who understand exactly how Maverick felt, who understand exactly how David felt and had I, how I felt. You've made mistakes that have hurt and damaged others so badly that to, to this day you would give anything, anything, literally, if you could go back and change some of that. But you can't. And it dogs you. And you're a prisoner of it. And I'm here to tell you God wants to set you free today and to give you some lessons, to tell you some things God taught me about how to get free. I've got three to share with you. Lesson number one is found in Philippians chapter 3. I wonder if you'd flip over there with me. Philippians chapter 3, it's page 832, if you're using our copy of the Bible. Page 832, Philippians chapter 3. And here in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about his past, the good, the bad, 
And he makes an incredible statement about the past. I want you to see what he says. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 13. Paul says this. He says, but this one thing I do, verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. Now, this was Paul's perspective about the past. Forgetting what lies behind and straining to what lies ahead, I press on for the things God has for me in the future. And the first lesson that God taught me about the past was this, that, Lon, the past is in the past. You've got to let it go. You've got to turn loose of it. You, you can't dwell on it. Uh, and as hard as it is, and it is hard, I had to learn to let the past be the past to stop reliving it over and over and over again, to stop letting it play games with my mind, to stop living in the fantasy world of if only, you know, if only I had done this and if only I hadn't done that. And then living all that out over and over again in my mind. Folks, the fantasy world of if only is a sure formula for emotional death. As many of you know, I, we record um, Not a Sermon, Just a Thought, running on eight or nine radio stations here in Washington. And about every two months, I go in and do six of these for the coming couple of months. And it's wonderful. We go to the studio. I have a team that comes in with me of a couple people. And they sit out there on the other side of the glass with the sound engineer. And then they give me thumbs up or thumbs down after I do them. They're about 45 seconds long. And I get thumbs down usually for the first six or eight or ten tries, you know, which is good. A word wasn't right. I stumbled over a word. I got tongue-tied. You know, I slurred something. And so we redo them and we re-record them and we re-record them and we re-record them. And it's wonderful to be in a situation where I can go, if I go like this, I can go, okay, stop, stop, stop. Let's start over. Wonderful. However, real life is not like radio. You know, you can't go back and do that in real life. You can't re-record real life. And and that means that as Christians, instead, we have to do what the Bible tells us to do with the mistakes of the past. Paul says we have to forget what lies behind and we have to make it ancient history and begin to press on for whatever it is God has for us in the future. You say, well, now, Lon, that's easy for you to say. Of course, it's easy to say. But how do I do that? I mean, when I've hurt somebody and I've caused incredible pain and I've got unbelievable guilt about something I've done in the, in the past... It's wonderful for you to say, just make it ancient history. But how do you do that? Well, that leads me to the second lesson that God taught me. And that's this. That the past, God said to me, Lon, you know, the past is in my hands. You've got to trust me with it. The past is in God's hands, so we have to trust Him with it. See, friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a promise from God, a wonderful promise about the past. Here's what it is. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says this. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, what this verse is promising us as Christians is that the past is not out of control, but rather that the past is firmly and securely in the hands of God. And would you notice here that God's promise applies to all things, not just the good things, not just, just the successful things, but even to the mistakes and the misfires and the missteps of the past. And here in this verse, God is promising us that He will take everything in our past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and He will blend them together like a master chef. And when God is done, the result will be good and it will be beneficial and it will be a blessing. You know, when I travel overseas to Israel or Europe or wherever, 
It's interesting, you can take all of the little electrical pieces of equipment that you want to here from the United States, but they don't work over there. Because the electricity, as you know, coming into the room can't be used unless you convert it into the kind of voltage that our things run on here in America. And so you have to take a converter that turns that electricity coming out of the wall into something that's usable and constructive and serviceable. And friends, what this promise from God is telling us is that God is offering you and me to be the great converter in our life. To take our failures, our pain, our guilt, our shortcomings, our misfires, and to convert them into something that is serviceable and useful and constructive for the glory of God in today's world. Now, I want to tell you, when I look back over my life, I consider myself a perfect candidate for re-recording my life. I'm, when I grew up in a, in a family, in a home where, where we, it was a disaster. My father was an emotionally absent dad. My mom was verbally abusive. I, there was no unconditional love at all in my home. Then my parents broke up, so I had a fractured family as a teenager. And, and then there was high school. Man, I was an outcast in high school, a reject in high school. I was good at nothing. There wasn't one single thing I could point out and say, I'm good at that. And friends, if there had been a senior superlative least likely to succeed, I would have won in a landslide in my high school. Uh, and so as a result of all of this pain, I began trying to, to eat that pain away. And I became over, overweight significantly and out of shape. I had an opportunity to go to West Point out of high school, but I did, couldn't get in because I failed the physical aptitude test. I was in such bad physical shape. And all of that just made me feel worse about myself. Next came alcohol abuse. And then when I went to college, drug abuse. And then promiscuity, including getting a girl pregnant, <coughs> excuse me, and forcing her to have an abortion. And at age 21, when Jesus Christ and I met, I was paranoid, neurotic, psychotic, suicidal. And the only thing I wanted to do is go back and re-record the first 21 years of my life. They were a disaster. But you know, i got to tell you something. I, I discovered something when I met Jesus Christ. And what I discovered is that God keeps His promises. What I discovered is that God never wastes an experience, even a bad experience. But that God takes all that pain and He takes all that failure and He takes all those mistakes. And God converts them into compassion for people who are in pain. He converts them into understanding of people who are going through similar situations. He converts them into an ability to connect with people who are going through what you went through, as painful as it might have been. And folks, I look at the ministry God's given me today and I realize that at the very heart of the ministry He's given me today is all of that pain that I went through. Because nobody I meet today can tell me anything that they've done where I can't say, hey, I've been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. Thank you very much. Now let's talk. Drug abuse? Did it. Alcohol abuse? Did it. Broken family? Been there. Abusive parents? Been there. Absent dad? Been there. What else? Got anything else? Been there. Now let's talk about what Jesus Christ can do in your life. Because He did it for me. And friends, God truly did restore to me the years the locusts have eaten. And that's God's other promise about the past in the Bible. God says, Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. God did that for me. And I'm here to tell you that if Jesus Christ lives in your life, He'll never waste an experience in your life either. Now, I know that's hard for some of us to hear. 
And it was hard for me to hear 29 years ago. But if you will take all of your mistakes and all of your pain and all of your guilt, and if you will just put it in the hands of God and trust God to convert it, as He promises He will, into good, I'm telling you, He will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And may I say that if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ in a real and personal way, that you need a great converter in your life, everybody does. We all do. We all make mistakes. And I'm here to tell you that all the drugs in the world, all the therapy in the world, all the support groups in the world will not convert your mistakes and your pain and your guilt into something useful and serviceable in your life. Only the power of Jesus Christ can do that. And He will do it for you if you'll just give Him a chance. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ, man, I want to tell you, you need to run, not walk, and get the great converter going to work into your life. I hope you'll think about that. Well, third and finally... The third lesson God taught me was this, and that is that the past can be a prison and the best way to get out of it is by learning to serve other people, learning to serve other people, getting your eyes off yourself and getting your eyes on serving others in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the pathway out of prison. I want you to turn back with me to Acts chapter 26. It's page 792 if you're using our copy of the Bible. Acts chapter 26, and here we're going to see a a fellow named Paul who had quite a past. You talk about some mistakes and some baggage, this guy had some. And yet he didn't become a prisoner of his past. You, You would think it could have incapacitated him, but it didn't, and I want you to see why. It's because of the strategy God employed when he first became a Christian. Look at this. He's talking to King Agrippa, Paul is, and he says in verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I was there casting my vote for them to be killed. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme in my obsession, Paul says against them. I even went to foreign cities looking for them to persecute them. Paul said, man, you wouldn't believe what I've done. I mean, not only did I persecute and imprison them, I physically abused them. I hunted them down like animals. I even participated in the murder of Christians. But when Jesus Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, look what he said to him. Verse 16, he said, now, Paul, I want you to get up. And I want you to stand on your feet because I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness to what you've seen and what I will show you. And then he says, Paul, I am sending you out, verse 17, to go serve the Gentiles, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Verse 19, so then, King Agrippa, Paul says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven Because I went out and became a servant, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then to the Gentiles around the world. I went and preached they should repent and turn to God, and I made myself into a servant. That's what God asked me to do. That's what I did. Now, isn't it interesting that the very first thing God called Paul to do as a Christian is to get his eyes off of himself and off of his past and off what he had done and get his eyes instead on serving other people. Isn't that interesting? And the reason God did that, friends, is because God knows that the way you get out of prison from the past is you get your eyes off of that and you get your eyes on serving people in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how you get out of it. Mother Teresa said, there is a joy in transcending self to serve others. 
There is a special joy God gives when we take our eyes off ourselves and we begin serving others. And my dear friend, Mother Teresa was right. The way to get free of the past is to get our eyes off of the past and get our eyes onto serving people in the name of Jesus. Not only will this replace the heaviness of the guilt with the joy that God gives when we serve Him, but it will also allow God to use your past as a tool to help people in the future. And that's part of the healing process to see how even your mistakes God can use for good. You say, well, Lance, so what do I do? How do I start? Where do I serve? What, 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 what do I do here? Well, I got two quick responses. Number one, uh, this is why we offer Discovery Network as part of McLean University. This is why we have the Shape Workshop, which is coming up on June 26th, which you should take. And what this is all about is helping you discover your spiritual gifts and your talents and your passion so you can learn what it is that God wants you to do. And, and you should take that. But you know what, friends? My second response is you don't even have to wait for that. Just get doing something somewhere. Be an usher. Be a greeter. Uh, 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 work out with the traffic people and help with the traffic. Work at the Welcome Center. Serve pizzas during the fourth service. Help with subs on Saturday night. Come in here and be a teller. Sit downstairs and answer the telephone on Sunday morning when people call in after they've heard our radio program. Work in the children's ministry. Shoot, we got volunteer teams out the wazoo here. I started, you know, started teaching two-year-olds. That was the first thing I ever did as a Christian. I had hair out to my shoulders, love beads and motorcycle boots, and they let me teach two-year-olds. Can you believe that? You know they were desperate. And I knew the first week I was in there, this wasn't my calling. First week. But you know what? That's all right. I went from there to working with people in jail and from there to working with young people. See, the friend, thing, the thing is, friends, even if you're not exactly doing what you're eventually going to do, God steers a moving ship easier than one sitting still. So become a moving ship and, and God will steer you right where He wants you to go. But this is, a, this is therapy because this allows God to take your pain and to turn it into something helpful to other people. And that's part of the healing process. How do we get on with life after we've really screwed up? How do we do that? Well, I've got three lessons I've learned I'd like to tell you. Number one, we remember that the past is the past and we die to it. We pronounce it ancient history and we let it go. Turn loose of it. Number two, we, we, we take the past and we put it firmly and securely in God's hands and we trust God to be the great converter and to turn it into good the way He said He would. And number three... We remember that the past can be a prison and the best way out of it is to become a servant of others. To get our eyes off of the past and get our eyes on serving the needs of people. Friends, that's the way out of prison. And I believe there's some of us here today who are in prison to things we've done in the past. I believe there are people here today who know exactly the kind of feelings we saw on the film just a few minutes ago. And I'm here to tell you, God wants to set you free. If you'll follow these three principles, God will. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for talking to us today about real life living. Lord, we all know what it feels like to be like Maverick, sitting on a bar stool, feeling like the world is over. And there's no reason to go on because we've messed up so bad. And I want to pray, God, that you would remind us today that that's not your plan for us. We're... 
Your plan for us is to forget what lies behind. We can't re-record it. And let's press on for what God has in front of us. To leave the past in your hands and trust you to convert it and make up to us for the years the locusts have eaten. And Lord, to get our eyes off the past, to get out of introspection, to get off the merry-go-round, and to get busy serving people in the name of Jesus Christ. Teach us, Lord, if we'll follow those three simple principles with your help, that you'll free us. My prayer is for people here today who need to be liberated, that you would do that for them. Thanks, God, that Jesus said, if the Son of Man makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Thank you that freedom is your plan. Now, Lord, help people lay hold of these principles and begin to get free beginning today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.